Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer. Welcome to the Corporate Flight Attendant Podcast. I was a corporate flight attendant for six years, and I tell you the brutal, honest truth of this industry. So far, I've given you 69 episodes and over three years of free content. So please support this podcast by purchasing my CFA ebook. And if you enjoy it, please give me the best rating that you see fit on Amazon. Also give me a five-star rating wherever you listen and a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. To rate takes less than 10 seconds of your time and to review takes less than a minute. And you guys, truly that's true because truly that's true. Anyway, (laughs) I've done it. And I've timed it out. I do it all the time with other podcasts. So that just supports me so much. And always remember to hit the follow button so new apps pop up on your podcast player automatically. Thank you so much for all of the ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts lately. I'm up to 40, which is amazing for a smaller podcast like this. I really appreciate it. Please don't forget about Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, wherever you listen. I really appreciate you guys. So today we are going to talk about flight attendant burnout stories. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't really talked about burnout as a full subject. I've talked about it here and there, but I want to go through a few stories, including one that's my own with the restaurant business that does have to do a little bit with being a flight attendant. And I will get to that as my last story. First, I want to talk about This trip I did as a newer flight attendant to the Caribbean. I've told you about this account before, two pilots, three flight attendants. Sometimes a mechanic would come with us on bigger trips. This account would just fly all the time. We're talking these people would fly 28 days a month, maybe 25 days a month. And it was always to these major international places. It was never these quick trips to West Palm Beach or something really simple from New York to Bedford, Massachusetts. It was always these elaborate trips. In my humble opinion, everything that could be wrong with an account was wrong with this account. (laughs) Even observing it as a new FA, I just couldn't believe the pressure these people were under. Every facet of the account to me was just a complete fuck job, meaning the crew just didn't mesh well together. There were a lot of them. I like working, as I've said many times, with just two pilots and I'm the only flight attendant. That's how I do things best. So that's why I've never been on a BBJ. I've never really been on, except for this account, anything like that where you have more than one flight attendant. I like working independently. I like being my own boss and that's what works for me. As you explore this industry and delve more into it, you're gonna find, are you more of a team person? Do you like having that interaction on trips? And do you like, hey, maybe I should be on a BBJ because I feel so lonely as a flight attendant, as the lone flight attendant, on a G700 or something like that. So if that's something that you want, then you definitely wanna look towards the larger aircrafts like a BBJ or a Lineage 1000 or something like that where you're always going to have two to three flight attendants 
on them at one time. And I do know flight attendants like that. I have come across in my career, they like the group structure. A lot of them, well, a lot of them, but the ones I know are lead FA. So they like being in charge and being the boss and having one to two people under them at all time. So if that's something that you want to do, again, look toward the bigger aircraft. So this account, it was just the crew didn't quite mesh well together. They were all nice people. I've talked about them before, except for one. They were all good people, but they just, there was too many of them. The owner was psychotic. He was beyond demanding. Everything had to be a three-course meal served in 25 minutes, and even if it was just him by himself. So he was just very demanding. He never let up on people, very critical. In my humble opinion, he had a sadistic personality because he almost got off on, it never happened to me, but I had heard that one of the FAs was very upset about something, cried, came back into the cabin, and I guess you could tell she had been crying, and he kept poking her about that. So he had almost a sadistic personality. His wife was okay. His wife's best friend who was with them all the time was a massive bitch. So on top of this psychotic owner, then you have (laughs) the bestie who treats you like dirt. I don't know why she was like that, but she just was such a miserable human being. And then they went to really good places. I will say that. that that was a one good thing about this account. They went to amazing places, but you were preparing days ahead of time to get 19 beds ready, to get jet beds ready, to get all that food ready. You knew that they were going to have four course meals. They were never going to be the people, because he wasn't like that, who would get on the plane and say, okay, you know what, let's just have this chill buffet set up. He was not like that. He wanted everything fancy and in a certain way and all the time. And I know a lot of you are saying, well, Jennifer, that's the job. He owns the plane and he's paying you the money. You're 100% right. I agree with that. But you have to understand that when you're doing that 25 days a month, that leads to burnout. If you're doing that much work before the trip, if you're doing that much work during the trip, if you're doing that much work after the trip, you have no downtime, even when you're with your family. And I can tell you this, when we were on the trip, this guy liked to surprise us with different food requests. So you think you'd be relaxing in the Bahamas and they're there for five days and you're on day three and you're doing pretty well. And then boom, he would hit you with something. And then that's something he would hit you with some weird food requests that you know he's not going to eat. He just, again, I think he had a sadistic personality where he just wanted to fuck with the crew. I really personally feel that. And he just got off on it and it was his thing. Personally, I did not like him, but he was nice to me. And I think he was nice to me only because I came on in these situations where I was lucky and maybe something bad happened the trip before and then I came on and we had a good rapport, the crew or whatever, and he, you know, he's good. I think he was actually really good at reading energy in that way. So it worked out for me. (laughs) There is no way I would ever have taken a permanent job on that account. I was asked twice. I said no twice because I saw the writing on the wall. And I personally can't handle that. Even 
I was a new flight attendant at that point. And I know a lot of you are thinking, well, you should have just paid your dues, gotten the visas, done the whole thing, taken all that advice you give us. I agree, but to a certain point. And also at the time, I was a new flight attendant at 38 years old. I was not a new flight attendant at 22 years old. I don't care what anyone says. I like to think at 45 years old, I'm in pretty damn good shape. You guys know because of my disease, I eat so clean. I'm the healthiest eater you've ever met. And even with that, you do not have the energy that you did at 20. I'm telling you that right now. (laughs) As a middle-aged woman, it's just the truth, even if you're running marathons and the whole thing. So I had to make sure, and I'm glad I did, that I put my health and my mental health above that before I said yes and just jumped at an opportunity that I can tell you I maybe would have lasted maybe six months and I would have quit. I think I would have probably lasted three, four months and I would have just been like, peace out. (laughs) I can't do this. Okay. So let's go back to this trip. Sorry, that was a long digression. We are in the Caribbean. It's a five-day trip. I think it's Anguilla and the crew is complaining the entire time. Now, the chief pilot who's on the trip is not complaining, but the other pilot on the trip is complaining. The lead FA is complaining. The second FA is complaining. I'm not complaining because what do I have to complain about? There's absolutely nothing. And they're just bitching about everything from the owner to how much they work to they don't get paid enough to, I mean, it was just going on and on and on. So by day three, the chief pilot had a meeting. And he said to me in front of everyone, I think it was after lunch one day and we were all sitting around just chilling out. And he said to me, Jennifer, do you mind leaving us alone because I'd like to talk to the crew separately? And I said, okay, I mean, what are you going to say? So I just said, okay, no problem. I left. They met for, must have been a while, must have been around an hour and a half, something like that. And then I saw the two flight attendants. They came to the pool or wherever I was. They didn't say anything. They did not say what they talked about. I did not ask. But the one flight attendant asked me if I felt that the energy was different. And I said, yeah, I actually do. I feel like you guys are a lot lighter. I must have seen the pilots too. It it must have been the flight attendants and the pilots came back to the pool or something. Because then she pulled me aside and said, hey, do you feel that the energy is much different? And I said, yeah, I feel like it's much better energy and everything. And she, she basically alluded to that they aired out their grievances and that they were much better, but I did not have any access to the contents of that meeting. And I have a feeling the chief pilot said, we do not talk about this with the contractors. We don't want to air our dirty laundry, which I understand. Now, I was such a new and not young, but new flight attendant that I felt a little left out when they had the meeting without me. And I felt a little butthurt But looking back on it now, I do think the pilot was correct. He should have talked to that permanent crew alone because, yeah, it's not good that I knew every aspect of the crew, that I knew everything coming in as a contractor when they may have things that they just keep privately to themselves. So I do agree with that. I don't agree with how he handled it in the sense of, I think he should have quickly talked to me privately so I didn't feel left out. Now, I let this all go 
because I was a new contractor and I just didn't want to make any waves. And it worked for me that I did not say anything because with this guy's personality, he would have taken it the wrong way. I liked him. Don't get me wrong. I liked him, but he was someone that wouldn't have liked his, I wouldn't have questioned his authority, but I think he would have taken it that way as a newer and younger chief pilot. So I'm glad I just let that one go. But I think he should have taken me aside and just said, I apologize if you felt left out or that we had to leave you out of that meeting, but there were things I had to talk about that were private to this crew. And I would have been fine. That's the step that I believe that this chief pilot missed. Okay, so let's move on to story number two. So it's the same crew. And now we're in the Bahamas, I believe. And again, it's a five-day trip. I remember this guy liked his five-day trips. The lead FA at one point during the trip, again, remember this guy, this owner likes to throw in surprises and fuck with your head when you think you can finally relax on the trip. That was his MO. So the third day in, he decides he wants this whole birthday party set up. And I can't remember who it was for. It must have been for a passenger. It wasn't for him. Trust me, we would have known (laughs) if it was his birthday. He was a 100% narcissist like that. It would have been a huge deal. But he decided he wanted a certain cake and it decorated a certain way. And now he wanted a whole birthday spread and balloons and all this and the whole thing. And again, you guys are right if you're thinking that is absolutely in his right. And that is your job. And you are on the clock. I understand that. Trust me, I get it. But what wears on you is that he screws with your mind like this every single trip when keep in mind, you haven't had a lot of sleep. You're exhausted. You're just trying to catch up on sleep. You're trying to catch up on a moment with your family on FaceTime. It's not easy, you guys. It sounds fine me just saying this right now, but when you're fatigued, and you're exhausted, and you're crossing time zones, and you're working nonstop, it gets to you. So when this birthday party thing happened, the lead FA, I went into her hotel room to help her organize it. And she just started crying. She was very upset, rightfully so, because she was just worn down. She was burned out. And she said to me that she isn't even raising her own children, that the nanny is raising her own children. And I think it was something like the children called the nanny mom or mommy, or there was something in that story. So imagine if you're a woman or a man that wants to raise and see your small children, and that just keeps being taken away from you. And I guarantee you guys that this owner, because I know this guy's personality, I'm sure the way the account was sold to this entire crew was, hey, you're only going to fly around 12 to 14 days a month. Uh, We're going to do easy trips. You're going to stay in really nice hotel rooms because they told me in the beginning they would stay at really, really nice hotels. And the owner realized how much money that was. So then they started staying in Marriott's and Hilton's as they should have from the beginning. But I think there was a lot of love bombing. You know how narcissists love bomb you at first? They give you the world. They tell you you're amazing. They give you flowers. They give you nice hotel rooms. They give you all these types of things. And then they go in for the kill. And I really think this is what happened to this crew. 
on top of all that, I believe that the lead FA's boss was also taking advantage of her because the lead flight attendant had all of this amazing experience. And the boss said, oh, because you moved to this area, you need to now build your resume back up. None of that makes sense. It doesn't matter if you come from Saudi, you come from Australia, you come from China. I mean, as long as you speak English pretty well, right? And you come to the US and you are a really good flight attendant and you show that on a resume and you have the references and you have the visas and you have all of that, they're going to pretty much hire you because you have such great experience. But I think that the lead FA's boss was mind fucking her too to keep her stuck to the account. Because one of the things she said in this breakdown, I'm sorry, the lead FA said to me in this breakdown in the hotel room was the boss said, oh, you can't change accounts. You need to at least be on this account for two years. And I think there was manipulation there as well. So this poor lead FA was getting literally mind effed from all angles. So be careful if something doesn't sound right to you, because I'll give you an example. I was going to move to Australia. I had a great resume. I interviewed with three companies in Australia, and they all wanted me. And they said to me, you have to get the visa first. So go to school down here and you can get a visa because when you get a student visa in Australia, you can also get a work visa or with your partner, do a partnership with him and then you'll get a work visa. And I said, oh, okay, I didn't know that. That's great. But they all were like, we would start you tomorrow. So there was no, oh, I'd have to move to Australia and know the Australian customs or, you know what I mean? It was none of that. That's why I think this woman was getting just screwed royally from all angles. Keep in mind that these examples are, of course, full-time flight attendants. And you have to think about, especially in the situation in the hotel room where she's crying and breaking down and getting her mind just completely manipulated. I think what happens is you get into this cycle of fear and then you say, oh, I'm never going to find a better job. I'm never going to find a job fast. I'm never going to do anything. And I think you have to get out of that cycle. And I've been in that cycle too, where you have to well, if, if you're really in a bad place, obviously we want you to talk to someone, make sure you put your mental health first, talk therapy is wonderful, so you make sure you take care of that. But also, you have to realize that if you have built up this incredible resume, you are not trapped. You're really, you're not trapped. And if you've built up the networking really well, then you will find at least a contract job very quickly. And you know what, if you've done everything right, where you saved up a ton of money, and you've networked correctly, it's okay to take a little time off. It's okay to take, in her situation, to take a few months off if she quits and then takes a few months off. What's wrong with that? She can hang out with her kids. She can clear her mind. She can see what she wants to do again. And she did end up quitting which was great. And I was so happy when I heard that the next job she got was phenomenal. And she was so good at it. And she had the best schedule. 
it just turned out to be great. So you're never trapped. And that's something I want to say today. If you're experiencing burnout with an FA job, you can always get out. You can always quit, but also make sure that along the way, if you see the writing on the wall, financially prepare for that. Start to network, do and take side jobs, right? Take contract trips, maybe not announce it to everyone because the smart ones don't say a word. And a lot of times you sign agreements to where you're technically not allowed to contract if you're a full-timer, but just keep it quiet, keep it on the DL and just go ahead and get your name out there when you can. And that's what the smart people do. So God forbid you do get into this situation of burnout, you will easily have other options. Burnout as a contractor is a little different because you can always refuse a trip. As I say many times, obviously as a new FA, that's not something you wanna do until you build up your reputation. But if it's really getting to you, just don't fly for a minute. Take a week off, clear your mind, take 10 days off, clear your mind. Again, you always want to financially prepare for this, especially as a contractor, especially, and that's why it's so vital as we talked about many, many times to have a second job as a contractor, right? Not You're not only a, an FA contractor, but you also do something on the side. And this is why I always chose being a contractor because I believe that I had some control of my life and that was important to me and that helped me avoid major burnout. So the last story I wanna talk about is my experience with burnout in the restaurant business. I know it's not being an FA, but I just want anyone to realize that if you get to this point, you really need to take care of your mental health and you need to examine yourself because this example, I'm not proud of. This, I was saying to myself, should I talk about this? Shouldn't I talk about this? But I think I should. We should learn from our mistakes. And I don't know if it's a mistake, but I definitely acted in a way that I don't think I'd be proud of today, but that's how life goes. Now, I'm the type of person when I feel like I'm getting screwed by a job or I'm just pissed off that I'm still there. In the past, I didn't complain I wasn't someone who would really run to HR. I wasn't someone who would throw fits or do anything like that. But I would just get so angry inside to an absolute boiling point and I would fume silently, which I almost think is worse. And instead, now looking back, I should have talked with a therapist and talked to someone and gotten everything out. And I think that would have helped me move on. And I would put myself in these situations, especially in the restaurant business, which is not a good business for my mental health, or it wasn't. I know the restaurant business has changed a lot. They're treating women better now, hopefully, fingers crossed. And it's not as sexist and disgusting and screw you over and shifts and all this type of stuff, I'm hoping. That's what I've heard, but who knows? I think it depends on the restaurant. Reflecting on the past 20 years, I can say that I had a restaurant job here and there. I would go in and out of the industry whenever I was doing a transition in my life or I needed money. I used the restaurant business to pay off student loans very fast. So that's always a good thing. But what I never really thought about was how 
detrimental it was to my mental health. And it was extremely detrimental. I am not good in that type of environment. And the type of environment I mean is even when I worked at these more upscale, very nice restaurants, the owners seemed nice, the owners seemed pretty mentally stable. There were still drugs. There were still people, you know, people I worked with who were selling drugs, buying drugs, would come into work on drugs, the whole thing. Even in the even in the best places I worked, I feel like the restaurant business attracts that. Now, I am not saying anything negative if anyone has an addiction. I really truly wish the best for that person. I have no judgment, but for me, I'm not and I've never been into that type of lifestyle. So for me, it's hard to work with people who one day they're high as a kite and they're talking nonstop <laughs> and they're on some type of upper and then the next day they won't even say a word to you because they're on some type of downer. So it's sad and I wish them luck and I don't judge them. But at the same time, it's it's hard for me and everyone loves to use the word empath nowadays and it's so freaking overused. But I've been using the word empath since I was, since 20 years ago. So I was one of the OGs who used that word and I really absorb energy, unfortunately. So I'm constantly absorbing it. It's not a good place for me to be. So anyway, I didn't really complain, but I'd fume silently until... It was a boiling point, and then I would start to take it out on people. In the past, when I would get very frustrated in those type of situations, I would just start to be rude. I wouldn't yell, I wouldn't scream, I wouldn't do anything like that, but I would just be rude, and I would be short with people, and I never want to do that, but that's what started to happen in the restaurant business, and the last restaurant I worked in, I think I lasted four months because I just couldn't do it anymore. I was so broken down. I was so burnt out. And I can tell you this, when I stay in a place that I shouldn't be or that I've outgrown, my energy absolutely cannot handle it. I am not someone who can suck it up, who can just say, okay, I'm doing this for another year. And then I just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I get so caught in a vicious cycle. And then what happens is I just start to numb out. So I remember when I was in the restaurant business on my days off, I would just watch Netflix or I think it was Netflix at the time for hours at a time, hours, because that was my way of numbing out. So that was not good either, <laughs> right? I should have just left and found something different. But I just want to tell you that story because if you're like me, where you just, you find an account and it's just something where it's sucking the life out of you and you keep saying to yourself, well, I've got to stay for another six months or I've got to stay for another three months, Think about if you really want to do that because looking back as a middle-aged person, I don't want to say I have regrets in my life. I know it's so, what's the word? It's so trendy to say, oh, I don't have any regrets. I think that's bullshit. I think everyone has a regret or two. I definitely have a regret or two, but I don't know if I call this a regret so much as a really good lesson. I think in that situation, I either had to learn to say, okay, 
I'm going to go to this job and do it the best I can. I'm going to put a time limit on it and it's only going to be a year and I'm going to come in with the best attitude I possibly can or opposite. I need to quit today. I am absolutely done. And I can tell you another part of the story is in this last restaurant I worked, there were a lot of drugs being sold. So there were a couple servers and there were a lot of servers. It was a big restaurant that were drug dealers. And again, no judgment. To be quite honest, the drug dealers or the former drug dealers I know personally are some of the best business people you'll ever meet. But anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. But really no judgment on that. And I had so much access to prescription drugs if I wanted them, to anything that would numb me out. I can tell you right now, I was probably, and I'm really not exaggerating, probably two, three weeks away from getting addicted to prescription medicine. And luckily the universe came in and put me in a car accident. That's a whole nother story. Well, you can listen to episode one of this podcast and you can hear that story. I was able to get out of the restaurant business and get into the corporate aviation sector. So you never want to get to that point either to where, hey, I've never really used substances in that way ever in my adult life. And now hmm, prescription drugs, I'm a little curious. I, I think they're looking pretty good. And maybe if I took this or maybe if I took that, you never want to get to that mindset. And I was there. I was very close. I'm telling you, if there was one more incident if I stayed a little longer, I would have totally bought drugs from that person. 100% been addicted, been on another path in my life. And you can say that, I mean, you can say you're stronger than that, you're better than that, your mindset is much healthier than that, and that's great. But you never know when you're in that dark of a hole. So I just want to tell you these stories today because burnout is an absolutely serious thing. You need to take it seriously. You need to address it when it happens to you. If you're a contractor, take the break. You will always find more work. If you say, fuck, I took this break and now I don't have a job for three weeks and it's a day trip, you'll be fine. Trust me, you'll be fine. You'll pay bills. That just means the next month you're going to be working 27 days. That, that's always what would happen to me. Seriously, guys, it would be like, ah, oh, this month I only have eight days, but then the next month I have 20 days. So it all evens out. And as long as you're working, let's say 10 to 12 days a month, and if that's, you know, maybe you want to work more, then you're doing pretty well as a contractor. As a full-timer, you really need to sit down and say, is this job worth it. And one thing I wish I would have done during that time period is talk to a mental health professional. And I'm not saying that to cover my ass. I'm not saying that to sound trendy. I'm just saying I wish I would have done that because at least I would have a perspective from someone who doesn't know me and can give me some feedback on what I need to do. And you guys, when you look for a mental health professional, not that I'm the expert, but I know one thing, <laughs> and I'm going to share it with you. I had a really good friend who was an exceptional therapist. I never went to her because we were friends. But she told me whenever you look for a therapist, ask for a solutions-based therapist. 
they should not be wanting your money for the next six months. It should be very solutions-based and you have to ask them that. And I've told this to other people and they roll their eyes and they say, well, Jennifer, everyone's a solutions-based therapist. No, they're not. I've been to one that just would have taken my money for the next 20 years. And I have known people that have gone to the same therapists for 20 years. Well, what are you solving? If you haven't helped them in 20 years, then it's just a friend you're paying, right? So make sure you find someone who is very based on solutions. They'll only do maybe three, not saying that, you know, you may need more, but let's just say, hey, I only want to do a few sessions, see if that works out for me, see if that clears my head. That's all you may need. You may need three to five sessions and you're good. You may need more, you may need less, who knows, but you want someone who's going to get to the heart of the issue and help you overcome and find solutions. So I hope I address burnout pretty well and I hope it never happens to you. And now if it does, you have at least a tool or two where you can address it in a healthy way. For the next episode, I am going to be dissecting an episode of the TV show Billions, which airs on Amazon Prime. The episode I will focus on is season seven, episode four, Hurricane Rosie. It takes place, a lot of it, it has to do with a private jet and a great scenario with a private jet. And I was able to really break it down with my husband and say, is this part true? Would this actually happen? And he helped me with that. It's so good. If you haven't watched the episode, try to watch the episode. If not, I will break it down for you so you can see in an emergency situation like that, what would happen. The next episode will drop on Friday, November 17th, 2023. Until then, happy flying.